Nearly 250 years ago, the atheist revolutionary war hero Thomas Paine wrote these words, My own mind is my own church. Our modern American culture reflects that same mentality. Religion in America is self-centered and individualistic. My truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth. Religion is personal. What I believe is what I believe. It's all about me. Martin Marty, a church historian from the University of Chicago, wrote these words back in 1978. He wrote, too many followers of invisible religion slide around in a world of infinite possibilities where no one judges them and there are no hard choices to help them form their thoughts. And then he adds quite prophetically, in our times, it's not secularism, but do-it-yourself religion that is the real enemy of the church. Now, Martin Marty was not an evangelical, and he wrote about Christianity from a very broad theological perspective, but his words are remarkably accurate 40-some years later, even in the evangelical church in America. The cartoon pictures a man seated in front of a television camera with the logo C period, H period, N period imprinted behind him. On the desk in front of him are the words Church Hopping Network, C-H-N, Church Hopping Network. He's speaking enthusiastically into the camera. I hope you can stay with us this next half an hour. We've got a couple of inspiring services I know you're going to want to sample today. An individualistic gospel breeds a consumer Christianity. Salvation must be accepted individually, of course, but Christianity cannot be lived individualistically without creating a consumer gospel designed to meet the felt needs of individuals. The consumer gospel stimulates a shopping mall mentality where Christians migrate from church to church seeking to meet their personal needs. People want the idea of community until the community does something they don't like. Then they look for a new community that will placate their individual views and desires because they are at heart individual self-sufficient Christians. It was the late Eugene Peterson who noted, even in the crowd, each person is an individual. But that is not what the church is. Church is a community, not a collective, a congregation, not a crowd. My friends, there is no way for lasting spiritual growth to take place in the context of rugged individualism. God designed Christianity to work in groups. Biblical Christianity is more accurately reflected in the motto of the Three Musketeers as they went off to do battle for the Queen in Alexander Dumas' classic tale. All for one and one for all. All for one and one for all. We can summarize Nehemiah chapter 4 and verses 15 to 23, the text we're looking at today, by saying, 
God will win with teamwork. God will win with teamwork. God made us to be social beings because sociality is part of the image of God we were created to reflect. God himself exists in community, three persons in one essence. He created us in his image. We are social beings. And because we are social beings, God chooses to work his greatest accomplishments in this world through us as we work together for him. I see two basic principles about teamwork in these verses in Nehemiah 4. First, be organized. Nehemiah 4, verses 15 to 20. Be organized. Look at Nehemiah 4, verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. The work on the walls of Jerusalem had been stopped by the threats of violence by the enemy and the discouragement of the people. Nehemiah knows that he must reorganize the people and get them back to work. God frustrates the enemy so that the people of Israel can get back to the job. The trick is that Nehemiah must organize an adequate defense without neglecting the offense. They must not get caught up in defending themselves so they forget the mission they are called to accomplish. They must build the walls. But they cannot build the walls without taking up arms to protect themselves. The twin objectives of defense and offense are closely related. The wall will provide defense when it's completed. So the best offense is a good defense and the best defense is a good offense. The two objectives must be balanced to be effective. The great challenge is how do you organize the defense without neglecting the mission? That's the challenge that Nehemiah faces. And it's the challenge we as a church in America face as well. We live in what is being called a post-Christian culture where the church is viewed as irrelevant how do we reorganize the church to do the job without losing our mission in the process? Nehemiah follows three different organizational practices which we can apply to our lives today. First of all, take your turn in verse 16. Take your turn. We read in verse 16 that from that day on, Half of my servants carried on to work, while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. The servants identified in this verse were most likely the soldiers who comprised Nehemiah's personal bodyguard. They were the secret servicemen of his day. They will appear in chapter 5, verse 10, and again in chapter 13, verse 19, to carry out specific tasks for Nehemiah. They were the professional soldiers. Nehemiah organizes them into shifts so that some are standing guard while others are working on the wall with the people. Then Nehemiah posts officers in strategic locations with soldiers so that the heavy equipment could be dispersed quickly if needed. Shift work 
is a great way to conserve resources, as any company knows. One year, my brother and I took several young men and climbed Bigelow Mountain in Maine in January. We had to snowshoe through uh, snow that was three feet deep. That meant that we each took turns breaking trail through the deep snow. And when you were done breaking trail, you went to the rear of the line where you could climb easier behind the others. We worked in a team to keep everyone fresh for the climb to the summit. But shift work requires that everyone take turns doing the boring guard duty and the hard physical labor of wall building. Unfortunately, the standard rule of thumb in most churches is that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. This kills the impact of the church. Couch potato Christianity is not spiritually renewing for anyone and it will always be culturally irrelevant to accomplishing our mission. So take your turn. And, secondly, play your part. Verses 17 and 18. Play your part. Those who were rebuilding the wall, and those who carried burdens, took their load with one hand doing the work, and the other holding a weapon. As for the builders... Each wore his sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpeter stood near me. Two new groups of people are identified in these verses. In verse 17, we meet the carriers, and in verse 18, we meet the builders or the masons. The first group, the carriers, had to leave the city and go down the hilly slopes surrounding the city to gather all the stones and carry them back up to the wall, where the second group of people would do the actual building of the wall. The carriers were in the most dangerous positions. They had to go out into the ravines around the city to gather the stones for the wall. The city of Jerusalem is on top of a steep hill with ravines on two sides that come together below the end of the city. The walls of the city had been torn down, and the debris, the stones, the rocks, rolled into the ravines below. The carriers were the most vulnerable to ambush because they had to go down into those ravines to find the stones among the debris and carry those stones back up the steep hillside. The builders, or the masons, the word can mean, the masons, on the other hand, were less vulnerable at the edge of the city on top of the hill. However, they needed both of their hands to lay the stones in place, while the carriers could use one hand to carry the stones up the hillside. So, Nehemiah devised a system where the carriers would carry a weapon, probably a spear, with them in one hand, and the masons, who needed both hands free, would get the swords girded to their waists. In the same way, we must each play our part in the church. There are those who work inside in somewhat protected situations, while there are others who venture out into more spiritually vulnerable situations. Both groups need to be armed appropriately and ready for spiritual battle. We each play a part in the growth of the church, in the renewal of the church. So, my friends, take your turn, play your part, 
And in verses 19 and 20, link your forces, link your forces. I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. Any team is only as strong as its weakest member, and any chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Nehemiah knew that the forces were spread so thin that any one location did not have enough people to defend it. So he designed an early warning system to defend the workers. In other words, he linked the workers together in a system of communication so that when the trumpets sounded, they could all rally together to do battle. It was clearly all for one and one for all. The Jewish historian Josephus says that the trumpeters were stationed every 500 feet to warn the workers of any impending attack. You see, my friends, spiritual warfare cannot be fought in isolation. We must be connected to one another in a system of communication if we are to have lasting spiritual success in our world. There must be some system of organization which keeps the channels of communication operational. It's easy to get frustrated with committees and groups of people working together in the church. I know that. Often it's easier to do it ourselves than to work with others to get the job done. I, too, have a strong dislike for committees. You know the saying about committees, nothing is impossible until it's sent to a committee. Or here's another one. A camel is a horse put together by committee. However, the fact of the matter is that no matter how much I dislike committees, these groups of people are essential to lasting spiritual growth in any church. In our church, we change the name from committees to work groups to try and stress how working together makes the work go better. The quickest way to short-circuit spiritual success in a church is to engage in do-it-yourself Christianity. We need each other. We need each other, and whether we like it or not, we are stuck with each other in the church. It is all for one and one for all. One of the most frustrating problems is to struggle with where you fit into the church. What's your role? Where do you fit? There's a game people play at parties where you try to guess your assigned roles by asking questions. So a sign is placed on each person's back, which reads mechanic or nurse or something else. And then you try to determine who you are by asking people questions because you can't see the sign on your back. And it can be very frustrating because, of course, rule number one in the game is that you cannot ask who you are. You have to ask questions and then try to guess. But the most frustrating situation in the game is when you are given just a big question mark on your back. You see, we want to fit into a group, but having a big question mark means we don't fit anywhere. We've just got a big question mark in church. 
We need to find our roles in the church where we serve and function in our community of faith. And one of the most liberating experiences in the Christian life is to find where you fit in serving the Lord. Many times we think we have gifts that, in the end, we do not have. And so we focus on the wrong ministries in the church. I always wanted to be a scholar and pursue a career in academia. I almost went on to get my Ph.D. so I could pursue a career in theological higher education. However, God led me into the pastorate. I became a pastor of a local church. Honestly, I was a reluctant pastor. Learning to pastor people was hard for me, but God helped me. God equipped me for the job that he called me to do. My giftedness is in preaching and teaching. It is Bible exposition. Knowing that is how God wired me is liberating because now I knew where to focus my energies and my resources. And I was blessed to pastor a church that taught me to love church ministry because I loved them and where I was free to use the gifts that God had given to me. What is your giftedness? How does God want to use you? In renewing your spiritual life, you must find where God wants you to work and how God has gifted you. Many Christians struggle to find their giftedness in life and others misdirect their energies because they think they have abilities which they do not have. Some sing in the choir when they should be serving in the nursery, and others serve in Sunday school when they should be serving in missions. One of the keys to lasting spiritual success in life is to find your place in the ministry of Christ's church. The church must be organized into an effective ministry for Jesus, and teamwork is essential to victory. So be organized. And secondly, be ready. Be ready, verses 21 to 23. So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. At that time, I also said to the people, Let each man with his servant spend the night within Jerusalem, so that they may be a guard for us by night and a laborer by day. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his weapon, even to the water. There's an interesting connection between verses 20 and 21. In verse 20, which we read earlier, Nehemiah encouraged the people that our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. Wonderful. But in verse 21, the people must be always ready to fight for themselves. We must remember the principle of Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't expect the watchman to stay awake. We cannot win this war on our own for sure. God wins the battles, not us. 
But that doesn't mean we don't fight for the Lord. Be always ready to serve the Lord in spiritual battle. That means, my friends, that we must be always ready to work, verse 22. We must be always ready to work. Now, verse 21 tells us that Nehemiah increased the speed of the work. The workday normally ended at sundown, but Nehemiah had the people working until the stars came out at night. Then Nehemiah made another change in verse 22. Many of the men apparently came to work from the surrounding villages and towns. They would go home to their families at night and return the next morning. Nehemiah asked that these men remain inside the city overnight instead of going home to their families. In times of battle, sacrifices must be made. My grandfather, during World War II, worked in the shipyards of New York City. Sometimes he didn't come home for weeks on end, working long hours and sleeping on makeshift cots on the wharfs. Nehemiah was asking these men to sacrifice their family life until the work was finished. There were probably two basic security reasons for this request. First, the influx of people through the city gates each morning would give the enemy opportunity to infiltrate the city among the crowds. Second, the men were needed so that guards could be posted at night to protect the city from attack. But think about it. This was quite an ask because it meant that their own families were vulnerable to attack in the villages outside the city, because the men were not there to protect them. There are times when we must sacrifice even our family security for the cause of Jesus Christ. My parents, for example, sent me off to a boarding school 600 miles away from home when I was only six years old. They didn't want to do that, but it was the best way for them to accomplish what they believed God had called them to do. Their missionary work, reaching the people of Pakistan with the gospel. Well, back in 1960, people didn't have the educational options we have today. So they had to send me to boarding school. Now, does that mean that God wants you to sacrifice your family for the cause of his kingdom? Well, not necessarily, and certainly not forever. This was a temporary situation, after all, as it was with my parents. But there may be times when emergency measures must be taken, and a higher than normal level of sacrifice is the only way to get the job accomplished for the Lord. And in those cases times of war, times of spiritual battle, we must trust God to take care of our families. If he calls us, he can protect us. My friends, spiritual success takes hard work, and it takes sacrifice to achieve. Warfare is not for wimps. We are engaged in a spiritual battle with the enemy who wants to destroy our witness for the Lord in this world. 
And Satan is doing everything he can to undermine the work of the church and to distract God's people from the priorities of the gospel. We must be ready to work for the Lord. And then in verse 23, we must be ready to fight. Verse 23, we must be ready to fight. Nehemiah wrote, So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes, each took his weapon even to the water. The Hebrew expression that ends this verse is difficult to translate. The King James Version translates it, None of us put off our clothes, saving that everyone put them for washing. The New American Standard and the NIV both translate it, each took his weapon even to the water. The Hebrew literally reads, each man, his weapon, the water. That's all it said. So you can see why it is confusing to translate, to put into English. Probably the best sense of this verse is that they didn't remove their weapons even when they went to get a drink of water. They remained on red alert 24 hours a day, seven days a week, until the job was done. Some years ago, I saw a sign that read, Be alert. The world needs more alerts. Well, the church needs more alerts too. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We must remain ready at all times to do battle for the kingdom of Christ because spiritual warfare never ends until we get to glory. However, remember, remember this, it's very important. Ours is a spiritual battle, not a political battle or a physical battle. Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now that's spiritual warfare. So stay ready, my friends. The battle for the souls of men rages on all around us. And the people that we see, the people are not the enemy. They are the captives of the enemy. And our job is to give them the good news that they can be freed from their spiritual captivity by the almighty power of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Don Bubna, pastor of the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church in Salem, Oregon, told the story of a special needs boy who had cognitive limitations. His name was Joey. Joey was in a church singing group, but he was such a discipline problem and so disruptive that the director thought of dismissing him from the group. Then one day, the director met Joey's dad, who told him, you know, my boy isn't as smart as most people, but he is responsible for leading his mother and me, his grandparents, five brothers and a sister 
to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Wow. Each one of us has a place in the service of Christ. Each one of us has been placed in the church for a reason. We each have our roles and our responsibilities. And if lasting spiritual success is to take place, if lasting spiritual renewal is to play, take place, then we must do our part in the process. Yes, it is true that God wins the spiritual battles. We can't do it ourselves. But God wins with teamwork. And we, the church, are the team that works. We must be organized and ready to do what it takes to carry out the mission of Christ in this world, the mission that Christ gives to us. We must not get sidetracked from our mission or distracted from Christ's priorities for us. We must keep the main thing the main thing to fulfill our mission effectively. Let me boil it down this way. Essentially, our mission has two parts, according to Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, what we call the Great Commission. Our mission has two parts in those verses. The first part is proclamation. The second part is edification. We must tell those who don't know Christ, and we must strengthen those who do. Offense and defense. The church must do both. The question is, where do you fit in that mission? What is your role? Now do it.